0: Welcome back for our first meet, fourth meeting over coffee. Anybody got your coffee or had some coffee this morning? Anybody need to go get a refill? Feel free to go do that. You won't bother me. I might have you bring me some to warm me up if you go. Just wave at me and I'll tell you if I need a refill when you go. Um, so for the last several weeks, We've been meeting like this, and if you're visiting with us and you wonder what on earth I'm talking about, I don't normally sit down when I preach, I don't normally mention coffee when I preach, but for this series, I wanted to take this from the approach of, let's just imagine as if we were gathered at a coffee shop, we were just meeting together for coffee, And we're asking the question of why is a relationship with God important? And these are the things that we would talk about. And if you'll remember, for the first couple of weeks, we went all the way back to the story of the beginnings. We talked about life in the garden. We talked about how God created, how he created everything. He created the the heavens and the earth, populated the earth that's At the end of each day, he said everything was good, and then he created man. Um, And what did he say about man? He said it was very good. Yeah, man was very good. And as great as the animals were, they could only offer him companionship. They couldn't offer the man the kind of relationship that he needed. And so God formed a woman. If you remember back in Genesis, it says, at last, here, this one, she's bone of my bone, she's flesh of my flesh. It's like Adam is saying, that one right there. She's me. She gets me. She's part of me. That's my equal. Finally, someone who understands me. That, that's my rib right there. Remember that verse kind of closed out, that early chapter, chapter 2? It said they were naked and they felt no shame. Because they were completely open with each other. They were completely honest. There was nothing to hide. There was nothing to cover up. They lived in complete intimacy with each other. But also with God, because God would walk with them in the evening. In the garden. Well, then we talked about a time that Adam and Eve were out, and the serpent began having a conversation with Eve and said, Hey, eat the fruit off of this tree. And Eve said, We can't eat it off that tree. You know, we can eat out of any tree in the garden. But we can't eat off of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We eat off the tree of life. And if we eat off the tree of life, we'll live forever. But she said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we can't eat off that tree. In fact, we, we can't even touch that tree because God says we'll die. And the serpent said, God didn't, you, know, you, you won't die. God knows that you'll become like him, knowing both good and evil. He deceives Eve she takes the fruit, and she eats it. She turns to give some to Adam, who is not doing his job, because he's evidently there. His job is the head gardener. He's the chief. He's the protector. He's not doing his job, because he's let this serpent in. And he should have stopped Eve, and he should have stopped the serpent, but he didn't. He was more than just complicit. He was a participant. He took the fruit too, and it says their eyes were open. Then there's that other funny verse. They were naked and they felt shame. They realized they were naked. And their reaction was to make coverings for themselves because that's what sin does. We want to mask it, we want to hide it, we want to cover it up, we want to conceal it. We don't want people to see our, our nakedness. That's what sin causes. And so God shows up and he says, hey, why are you hiding? So we heard you coming, we hid, we were naked, we were afraid. God says, who told you you were naked? And then the blame starts. God in the divine counsel says, the humans, they've become like us. They know both good and evil. Because remember before, they didn't know. Not only did they not know evil, I don't even think they knew what good was. They just knew perfection. The only way they knew what good was was by experiencing evil. Where they looked back and had something to compare it to. And God said, we've got to get them out of there because I cannot leave them in a fallen state. And so what we normally look at is just a horrible thing that God banishing them from the Garden of Eden is actually an act of grace because God refused to allow the human beings to have access to to the tree of life, which would give them eternal life, but it would give them eternal life in a state of fallenness, in a state of sin. So he banishes them, and they will die. The ground's cursed. Women's anxiety through pregnancy and childbirth and child rearing is going to increase. Life is is going to be difficult. It's going to be tough and we said that sin changed our relationship with God because that's what it did it changed the relationship in in the garden of eden it changed that relationship but God had a backup plan and that's what we that's what we talked about last week God's backup plan yes he allowed the human beings to die he wouldn't leave them in that fallen state but he also just wouldn't let them die let us die he had a backup plan and so he sent jesus jesus lived a, a sinless life he went to the cross he took on all of uh, of our sin you know romans says that that sin entered the world through adam Adam's sin brought death. Death spread to everyone because everyone's sin. Remember that? Romans 6.23 says what? For the wages of sin is death. What we earn for our sin is death. We can't earn anything else. The only thing we earn is death. We, we deserve death because of our sin. And that would be terrible if that was all that was written. Right? But that's not it. We also looked in Romans chapter 3. That says, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ, Jesus through Christ Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty for our sin. Now, most versions say right there that God justified us freely through the redemption that is found in Christ Jesus. And we talked about that word freely. We talked about what that means. It means gratis, gratuitously, freely, undeservedly, without cause. So without cause or undeservedly, we find freedom through Christ Jesus. Jesus. Now remember we said that Pilate, when he examined Jesus, and they wanted to crucify him, he said there is no reason, there's no cause for Jesus to die. But Jesus died anyway, right? Now then, we sin, right? Sin spreads everywhere. All of us sin. The wages of sin is death. So what do we deserve? Death, separation from God, punishment, all those things. Yet, God loved us so much that Jesus died for us. So, what we see is that just as Jesus was crucified and killed for no good reason, we are justified freely, forgiven, given life for no good reason. Isn't that awesome? That's the gospel. That's the message of Jesus right there. That's that's power in the gospel. And so now there is no condemnation for those who are are in Christ Jesus. We closed out by reading... Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for, for everyone. We have new life because of Jesus. We said that Jesus restores our broken relationship with God there's nothing else nothing else we can't restore it we can't do enough good stuff right stuff deeds whatever you can't serve enough people you can't live right enough it's all dependent on Jesus The only thing that we bring into salvation, people talk about, I've got to make sure I get the, the salvation thing right. We have nothing to do with that. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who got it right. All we do is bring Him our life. Okay? The only thing, here's it, we contribute one thing to salvation. And that's the sin that made it necessary in the first place. That's our contribution. It's a good one, isn't it? But Jesus, through his death that justified us freely for no good reason other than love, brings us into a right relationship with with God. And so if I was going to make a point this morning, it's this to have your relationship restored you must experience resurrection to have your relationship restored with Jesus you must experience resurrection you must give your life to Jesus so that you can experience resurrection now then, let's talk about how that works you got your bible open to 1 peter chapter 3 or on your phone, or whatever. Or they'll be on the uh, they'll be on the screen behind me in just a minute. First Peter chapter three. Peter is he's talking about a, a clean conscience. And to make his point, he goes way back again into the book of Genesis like, like we did. And he draws on this, this Old Testament story. And he kind of uses it as, a, as an example, as a metaphor. And in verse 20, kind of in the middle of that verse, it says this. Talking about the ark and the flood. It said only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And then notice the words in yellow if you're reading on the screen. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response for a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What he is saying is, it's this, 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 this baptism that you go into is what saves you. He says, let's talk about the ark. Okay, only eight people were saved. How were they saved? Were they saved in building the ark? No. Building the ark didn't save them. They were saved by what? Going where? Into the ark. That's what protected them from the flood. Okay? That's what saved them. And so, Paul, or or Peter rather, what he is saying is, look. He's talking about the flood, and he says, that water is a picture of baptism, which saves you. It gives you, it's not just cleaning up your your physical body, but it's a response. It's giving you a clean conscience before God, and it's effective because of the resurrection of of, of Jesus. Without the resurrection of Jesus, baptism makes no point in it. Does that make sense? And it's in our baptism where we experience resurrection. Okay, Because we know we've already sinned, we've acknowledged that, right? We've sinned, the wages of sin is death, sin through Adam, spread to the whole world, death spread to the whole world. So we're dead spiritually. But when we go into the water after acknowledging that Jesus is our Lord, we connect with Jesus in a powerful way. Jesus was killed. He was laid in a tomb. And on Sunday morning, he arose from the tomb. That's what happens to us spiritually at baptism. We are spiritually dead. When we go into the water, we are laid into the tomb. And we connect with Jesus. And just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, as we rise up out of that water, we too receive new life. That's the importance of baptism because we reenact the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's in that moment that our our conscience is, is clear. Eight were saved by going into The ark. Baptism is the mode for us. This is the mode that that, that God prescribes for us. It's how we come into Jesus. It's how we connect with Him. And it's this... It's this, is how we experience resurrection. It's then that we experience our, our relationship that was broken because of our sin. It's our relationship restored. It's us becoming justified freely. It's God doing all of those things for us through Jesus, making us right through Jesus, even though we don't deserve it. Paul would talk about that it, it canceled the, the written code. That's not talking about the law. The written code is the old self. It's the list of offenses that you and I commit every day. And I don't know about you, but my written code is pretty long. And for some reason, just because of love, God cancels that out when I come into Jesus. He restores my relationship and then this propels us to our future of living living in the presence of God. Turn to Revelation 21. We've covered a lot of territory in this season in this series we've gone from the book of the beginnings to the very last book now the apocalypse which just means the unveiling it doesn't mean like Armageddon and stuff like that as a matter of fact you know people talk about Armageddon and it's coming it's going to be this great big huge battle it is the biggest build up of nothing in scripture it is it's like the battle never even happens when you read it. It's nothing crazy that's going to happen. It's like Jesus like I got this. And they're just all swallowed up. But then we find out what happens. Then we get glimpses of our future with God in chapter 21. Listen to this in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Isn't that good news? That's our future with God. Did you see what it said? The old heaven and the old earth, the earth as we live on it right now, is going to pass away. What is our earth filled with right now? Pain, agony, torture. Seems like we hear about a new terror attack every day. We hear about the stuff that happened in Manchester a few days ago. We hear about the attack that happened on London Bridge. And those are just the ones we hear about. But there's also abuse of all kinds. There's abuse of substance that we turn to to fill something up in our lives that can never be filled by that kind of stuff. But that stuff draws us away and it's designed to lead us away from God and all it does is slowly kill us. But then there's physical abuse that people endure. There's physical abuse that people inflict. There's emotional abuse, verbal abuse. There's rape and there's incest. There's racism and injustice. You look around at the events that have happened in our world in just the last couple of years alone and you realize that many people experience a living hell every day of their life. But all of this Will pass away. And the new heavens and the new earth will take their place. Which means we get to experience the greatest things that life has to offer, but without the pain, without the suffering, without the sorrow without the sickness, without the death, without disease and abuse and injustice and racism and all of those things, because the new earth has come, God will wipe away every tear that you have ever cried. And that happens because of Jesus. And then it also said that God is coming down with the new Jerusalem. Did you see that? God's coming down. And his dwelling is going to be with who? Say it. You can say it. It's okay. Who's his dwelling going to be with? Us. Just like it was back in the beginning. Just like it was when Adam and Eve had access to the tree of life and God had daily communion and fellowship and walks in the garden with his people, God is going to live with us again. We get to be with God and he wipes away all the tears from our eyes and there will never be any more sorrow, death, crying, or pain because all these things are gone forever. Now then go to chapter 22 and watch this. It'll be on the screen above me. Then the angel showed me a river of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now then, watch this. And on each side of the river grew what? A tree of life. There's the tree again. The tree of life that they had access to and lost comes back into the picture in Revelation. That's why we've said this whole time, the life we live now, we are living between the trees. This one we lost. That one we'll have access to. But here's the thing, we won't need to eat. Our bodies will not be animated by flesh and blood. Our bodies will be animated by the Spirit. We will become spiritual beings. Now then, watch what happens. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit. With a fresh crop each month, the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Thank God for that. Because our nations, notice that's plural, not just nation. It doesn't just say United States. Our nations will be healed. Verse 3, No longer will there be a curse upon anything. What happened back in Genesis 3? There came a curse where? On the land. But now there's not a curse on anything for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there and then look who's there with them. And His servants will worship Him. And they, that's us, will see His face and His name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there. No need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. That's the future that God wants for us. That's the backup plan in full effect. His original plan didn't go the way he wanted it to because God gives us free choice and free will. But God would not leave us in that fallen state. He sent Jesus. He enacted this this crazy plan where his own son dies And this Roman execution stake, which is a symbol of shame, God flips the whole thing on its ear and now it's something we rally around. We rally behind an execution stake. Because that's how absurd things are in the kingdom of God. God takes bad things and He uses them for His glory. He takes people and he uses us to fulfill his purpose and advance his kingdom. But he can only use us when we give our life to him. Does that make sense? God wants to use you. God does not just use elders and ministers and pastors and teachers. If you are a member of the body of Christ, you are part of a chosen priesthood. If you have given your life to Jesus, you are a priest or priestess in the kingdom of God. You have a role to play. God has gifted you in whatever way it is. And your job and my job is then to use those gifts to advance God's kingdom here. Does that make sense? So don't think that "Ah, I can't do anything because I don't know anything. The Jewish ruling council, when they saw Peter and John, In Acts chapter 4, they were amazed because they were unschooled, ordinary fishermen. But they were amazed because they had been with Jesus. And it is being with Jesus that made all the difference. And that's it for us too. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't do anything, that you can't serve. Don't think, well, I can't reach out because I don't know what I'm doing. Trust God, just like Tim just said. Trust Him in those situations. All you have to do is love first. Leave the consequences to God. Now, they may hate you without reason, just like they did with Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, 25, they hated me without cause. That same word we just looked at. And they'll do the same for you. But that's... Not our concern. Our concern is doing what God calls us to. And so what is God calling you to? For the last four weeks, I've offered no invitation because I wanted you to sit with this story. And I wanted you to feel and live in the tension of that. And I wanted you to wrestle with that, and I wanted you to to have wonder about that. But now is the time where I pose the question to you. What will you do with this? Is it just, okay, you know, we met for coffee for a few weeks. That was good, great story. Makes no difference in my life. Or will you let it affect you? Have you let it work through you? Have you been open to God's call? Or are you like the Nazarenes that said, no, that's just Jesus? Will you take up your responsibility as a priest or priestess in the kingdom of God? Will you advance the kingdom? Do you need to experience resurrection? If your relationship has not been restored with God, the only way to have that happen is to experience resurrection. The way to experience resurrection is by confessing Jesus as your Lord, following Him into Baptism and being raised and given new life, so that your future is new heaven, new earth with God, where there is no pain and there is no sorrow. So, what will you do with this story? That's what I want to leave you. Let's pray together.